we come this morning um, to our sermon passage. We've got one verse from John chapter 11 and then uh, a section from John chapter 20. And so background on this from John chapter 11, that is when uh, Jesus and the disciples, it was probably a couple of weeks before the time of his crucifixion. Um, Jesus is a wanted man. They've been in kind of exile, running from the authorities in a sense. Um, and then he decides he's going to go. He's, he, he's heard that his friend Lazarus is dead or is sick, and he needs to come and to help. And the disciples are a little worried because they think, well, he's got a bounty on his head, and if he goes, we're going to get arrested too. Um, and that's when Thomas says there in verse, 11, or verse 16, Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So I, I wanted to bring that verse first before we read in chapter 20. Because we see in chapter 11 a Thomas who is so confident in this mission of Jesus. So committed that he's, he's, the, he's the cheerleader. He's the rallier for the other disciples. Let's go with him. And let's go die with him if he dies. But that said... Uh, chapter 20 is just after the resurrection. In fact, this is a week after the resurrection morning. Um, and Thomas, we find a very different man. So with that said, that's enough background. Our, our passage, John chapter 11, verse 16, and then chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it is, your revelation, you using the ordinariness of human words and by empowering uh, of your Holy Spirit, these authors long ago, showing us who you are, and showing us who we are in you. So I pray as we see this passage that is uh, pretty famous, pretty well known, as we search the treasures of your word, moved by your spirit, to show us the glory of Jesus, that we may be confident and rest in him. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a historical wrong that needs to be corrected, and I want to start this morning. Historical wrong needs to be corrected, and we're going to start this morning. We have to stop calling people Doubting Thomases. 
We've got to stop doing it. No more calling people a doubting Thomas. Now, I've said it. You've probably said it. You've definitely heard it. When somebody is skeptical or dismissive, um, we'll say, well, you're just being a doubting Thomas. Or that's just, they're just a doubting Thomas. Somebody reports some good news and I don't know about that. Oh, come on, doubting Thomas. All of that springs from this passage. Or I should say it actually springs from a misunderstanding of this passage. Our passage this morning is not a cautionary tale. A lot of times that's how it's treated. We read this and the lesson we think in our minds is don't be Thomas. Don't be like Thomas. He doubts. Don't be like Thomas. But if that's our takeaway, then we've missed the point entirely. Because this passage is not about Thomas. This passage is about Jesus. It is not about Thomas and his failure. It's about Jesus and his grace. And what we see here is Jesus and how he cares for his people in the midst of their doubts. That's what this passage is about. How Jesus cares for us. In the midst of our doubts, when we struggle with the idea that the gospel of Jesus is just too good to be true, when we struggle with doubt. What we're going to see this morning are three primary things. is Jesus sees us in our doubts, He seeks us in our doubts, and He loves us in our doubts. He sees us, He seeks us, and He loves us in the midst of our doubts. And so let's walk through it that way. The first section here is Jesus sees us in our doubts. So on Easter morning, the beginning of John chapter 20, we were in it two weeks ago, what we see is Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene first. And she is uh, in profound sorrow and grief. And we saw what? That in the midst of profound sorrow and grief, Jesus speaks her name. Speaks her name so she can open her eyes and see, and and not suddenly feel better, (laughs) but she can see the joy that Jesus is bringing to her. Now, last week we're looking at when Jesus appeared to the disciples, these 10 terrified, cowardly men locked within a room, and we see, well, we see that Jesus does not disdain them in their fear, that the fear of their hearts and even the locked door of the room they were in could not keep Jesus from seeking them out and declaring peace to them. And what do we see this morning? Well, we find out that one of the disciples was not there. That when Jesus arrived into that room where the door was locked and the disciples were in fear and he says, peace be with you, there was one disciple that was not there. Well, two. Judas wasn't there because he had betrayed Jesus. But Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why. We aren't told. We don't know if he was like hiding out by himself or if Thomas was, you know, gone to get dinner or what. He's not there. And when he gets it reported to him by the other disciples, we saw he responded, uh, he could not believe it. As he said in verse 25, unless I see the nail marks on his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand in his side, which was punctured, then I will not believe. These are the words of a man who had watched his entire world collapse in the matter of a week. That's the words of a man who has watched his entire world collapse in the matter of a week. Thomas is not somebody who just crosses his arms and says, I, you know, he's not just a pessimist who says, eh, I don't believe any good news. This is a man whose doubt, in a sense, was well-earned, 
hard-earned. He had watched his entire world collapse in the matter of a few days. This is what I mean. Thomas had believed in Jesus. He had truly been committed to this belief. He had followed him for three years, left his livelihood to travel around with this guy from the small town of Nazareth. I've said it before, Nazareth was the size of Spivey's Corner. So small town, and he follows this guy around for three years. He watches him do incredible things. He hears him teach the very words of God. And Thomas believes. He believes to the point that, as we saw in chapter 11, he was willing to die, and he was going to rally the rest of the disciples. Let's go die with him. And then he'd watched it all fall apart. He had watched it all fall apart in the matter of a few days. And so when his friends come to tell him that, no, actually Jesus is alive, that he's resurrected from the dead, and we've seen the Lord, he, it's preposterous. That doesn't happen. That would be too good to be true. See, the root of Thomas's doubt isn't that he can't believe that God is real. The root of his doubt is that he can't imagine that God could do anything with this mess that he watched happen in front of his eyes. He feels duped, he feels foolish, and he is determined to not be fooled again. His doubt is the hard-won doubt of despair. In my time as a pastor, I can probably count on two hands the number of conversations I've had with people who struggle with the idea that God is real. Now, there are true atheists out there who say, I don't believe God could exist, or agnostics who say, I have a hard time believing um, you know, it's possible, but I, I couldn't say for sure. And I've had those conversations. They're real and they're important conversations to have. But most of the time, most of the conversations I've had with people, and I don't just mean within the church, most of the time, the true root of people's doubt is that we are afraid that the good news of Jesus is too good to be true. We struggle with the idea that if there is a God, that he does not in some way dislike or disdain or hate us. We struggle with the idea that beauty can come from the ashes we see, that life can come into our death. And I think that's why Thomas demands that he see and touch the wounds of Jesus. He needs to know that Jesus sees him. Not just the idea of like, uh, uh, oh, yay, hope can spring in your heart because Jesus, the idea of Jesus is alive. No, he needs to see this person in front of him. He needs to know that Jesus sees him. He needs to know that what he watched fall apart is not the end. To know that this news that his friends have told him is true and not just wishful thinking. That Jesus is alive and that hope is not foolish which is what he discovers next when Jesus seeks him in his doubt. Jesus seeks us in our doubt. Our passage is a week after the resurrection. The disciples have gathered together again. It's a Sunday morning, and they're behind a locked door, but this time Thomas is with them. Thomas is there this time. And just like the locked doors of their fear could not keep Jesus from seeking his disciples to declare peace to them, which is what we looked at last week, the locked doors of Thomas's doubt cannot stop Jesus from declaring peace to him. Now, there are a lot of similarities you can look at it between Jesus appearing to his disciples on that first Easter and here. Lots of similarities. 
They're, you know, in both of the, the scenes, they're in this locked room, and then suddenly Jesus is standing with them. In both the scenes, Jesus says, peace be with you. But there's differences as well, and the most important one to me is here. Jesus says, peace be with you to the group, and then he turns to Thomas individually. He says, peace be with you. So he repeats that same good news as last week. But then he turns to Thomas specifically. And I think it's because the doubt that was gnawing at Thomas's heart was different than the fear that had gripped the rest of the disciples. I think what we see here is Jesus bringing grace to Thomas in a way that is fitted for Thomas. That Jesus brings his grace and pronounces the reality of his victory to Thomas in a way that is fitted for Thomas's need. That Jesus sees Thomas and he seeks Thomas. I said last week that essentially what our weekly worship is, is this. That we gather together and we find Jesus in our midst declaring God's peace to us. Now, we don't see a physical body of Jesus popping up here and saying, peace be with you. I mean, that would be amazing, right? <laughs> but what we do see and what we do hear are God's words in Scripture. By His Spirit, God uses the Bible, inspired by God, to continue to speak to us, to continue to reveal to us. But not just that. We find Jesus present in things like the Lord's Supper, these very ordinary things that proclaim the reality of his love for us. We hear the words of Jesus from one another. We embody the presence of Jesus, the body of Christ, for one another. When we gather in here, what's happening is Jesus sees us and our fears and our doubts and all the things that we carry in our shoulders and bring in this door, and Jesus declares again and again to us, peace be with you. But we don't just find a generic peace be with you. We find in Jesus a grace fitted for us. Jesus doesn't just see us as a group. That's good news, obviously. But Jesus sees each of us. He sought Thomas out. He gave Thomas his grace in the way that Thomas needed. And Jesus does the same thing for us. He sees us, he knows us, and he knows us intimately, and he loves us. And so he seeks us out, he gives us the grace that we need for our fears, for our doubts, for our sorrows, for our failures. Jesus seeks us in them. And when we gather in this room, we bring our different struggles, we bring our different histories, we bring our different wounds and our different sins. I struggle with different sins than you do. And what we find is Jesus standing with us, declaring God's peace to us in a way that sees us and seeks after us. A grace fitted for our need. A grace sufficient for us. Now, I don't know how much you've struggled with doubt in your life. Um, but I do know this. The place to struggle with doubt is the community of, the, of faith. The place to struggle with doubt is the church. Or at least it should be. Doubts are not something to work through on our own. It's not something we, we take and we work on our own doubts and then we emerge from it and we're okay, we're confident, and then we can gather back together. No, the place for our doubts is the community 
of faith. Now, I'll be the first to admit that churches, historically, are not often safe places to struggle. They're not. A lot of times you can share your true struggles and suddenly you're a pariah or you're a gossip or whatever. But I don't think it has to be that way. I don't think it has to be that way. And I think that we as a young church, just at the beginning of its life, I think we have a unique opportunity to build into the DNA of our church a sense of welcome and friendship, to build into the very DNA of our church uh, a place of sanctuary and peace and safety where when we struggle, we don't feel like we have to hide it away and figure it out and then we can re-engage where we can struggle with doubt together. We have a chance here to see something else come to life. You know, I experienced, and the reason I know that this can happen is I experienced community like this a few years ago. The church we were part of in Orlando, I was going through a season of struggle. This was actually after seminary, so I had already, you know, done my whole coursework, and I'd burned out. I had burned out at church, and I was wrestling with how much of my desire to serve in the church was actually just driven by a need to prove myself. I got to this point where it was like, did I go to seminary just because I was trying to get God to love me? Was it really a sense of call or was I just trying to answer some psychological need inside? And part of that was a struggle with doubt. I have a distinct memory. We're in, we're in Easter service. So the big service, I mean, that's like biggest service of the year. We're in Easter service and we're singing songs about the resurrected Jesus. And I looked around in the midst of singing in Christ alone in this room. And I thought, do I really believe this? That do I really believe this? That Jesus died and was raised to life? Do I really believe that he can offer me forgiveness? Do I really believe that I can be renewed? And for the first time, maybe ever in my life, the answer was, I don't know. The answer was, I don't know. And then I remembered the words of a professor and mentor of mine. Don't forget in the dark what you knew in the light. I was walking to, through a time of darkness. Don't forget in the dark what you knew in the light. And I looked around that room again and I saw my friends in that room. And they were singing with a conviction that I had felt before. And I thought, right now, I cannot find the faith to believe. Right now, I cannot. But I'm going to lean on the faith of my friends. I'm going to choose to believe that Jesus is here, declaring peace to me. And I'm going to stick around until I can hear it again. So I stuck around. And eventually, I could hear it again. It didn't happen in a moment. It didn't happen that morning. It didn't happen in a moment. It wasn't like I got zapped by God and ta-da, everything was fine and all my, uh, my heart was satisfied. But slowly, very slowly, my heart could hear the whisper of Jesus in Scripture, in my friends, in the Lord's Supper, peace be with you. I found Jesus who saw me in my doubts, who was seeking me in my doubts, and in my final section here, he loved 
me in my doubts. Jesus knew Thomas's doubts before Thomas did. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. But the doubts that Thomas had, his refusal to believe when he heard this good news from his friends, Jesus knew that those doubts were going to be there before Thomas did. And it did not stop Jesus from facing crucifixion for Thomas. It did not stop him for, from dying for Thomas. Jesus loved Thomas as he was, which is why he sought him in his doubts. The resurrected Jesus came to Thomas to show him his wounds, but not to make him feel guilty about his doubts. There's no indication that Jesus shows up in the room and he's like, look at this. Thomas, stop, dummy, look. That's not what's going on here. He wasn't there to challenge him for his inability to believe when the disciples reported it to him. No, Jesus showed him his wounds so that Thomas would not continue to wonder if God had left him, so that Thomas would see the great love that God has for him, which is why Thomas responds the way he does. He says, my Lord and my God. Thomas had seen that, yes, it is true. Jesus is alive, and yes, it is true. Jesus has come to find Thomas, and Thomas could see, proven to him, in the risen Jesus in front of him, that God loves him, that God is for him, that God is coming after him. Now, it doesn't mean that Thomas never doubted again. I'm sure he did. Because what Thomas's life looks like after this is kind of wild to think about. Thomas was also from a small town, same region, like same county as Jesus. He was also from a very small town. But after this, Thomas's life goes way, completely different direction probably than he expected. Thomas eventually goes to Asia, into India, in fact, to plant churches. Um... He traveled throughout the Roman Empire starting churches. And as I said, he eventually wound up in India. Often probably feeling alone. And how did Thomas walk through these seasons of doubt in the future? How did he walk through those seasons of doubt years and years and decades even after the moment in our passage? I don't think it was just him remembering this moment. Our memories can sometimes be faulty. He wasn't depending on his memory, though I'm sure it loomed large over his whole life. Thomas told this story probably three times a day <laughs> for the rest of his life. But part of the way Thomas walked through these seasons of doubt after this is because he would gather on future Sundays. He would gather on future Sundays with his sisters and his brothers in Christ. And when he would hear Jesus speaking to him through the Holy Spirit, he would see his brothers and sisters embodying the peace of Jesus for him. So friends, are you struggling with doubt? I don't mean struggling with the idea that God is real, though maybe that's part of your struggle. I mean wrestling with the idea that the love of God for you is really everything that I've said it is. That every single one of your sins can be forgiven. Every one. That you can experience transformation and healing and heart change. Well, Jesus sees us. He sees you in your doubt. He sees you, and he does not shame you. Know that Jesus is seeking you 
in your doubts. He's not waiting for you to get through it and then here's your grace. He will keep seeking you declare God's peace to you. And know that he is not waiting for you to get through this and then he'll love you. No, he loves you in your doubts. So open your ears to hear the gospel. Open your eyes and look around. See this community of faith and let's lean on each other. Open your mouth in a moment and feed on the body and blood of Christ and know that the salvation that Jesus has won for you is not dependent on your feelings. In closing, I'd like to ask what seems probably like an odd question, and I think I've asked this before. What shape is the moon? What shape is the moon? The moon is always round. The moon is always round. But you can go outside tonight, and if you look up tonight, I looked it up, we're in a waxing crescent moon. So you're just going to see a sliver tonight. It'll be like it's smiling at you, but you can just see the bottom part. But if it's a cloudy night, you won't see it at all. This Thursday, it'll be a half moon, and you'll be able to see half of it. In two weeks, it'll be a full moon, and it'll be round and shining brightly. But in all of this, as it's waxing, as it's waning, as it's covered by clouds, what shape is the moon? The moon is always round. At times in our lives, it's going to be hard to see and believe that God is love. It's going to be hard to believe that the gospel is true. And when the fog of doubt settles on your mind, when darkness covers your heart, Remember this, the moon is always round. You are always loved. May we remember in the darkness what we know in the light. You are held, you are kept, not by your own power or intentions, but by God's. And if you can't hear that right now, stick around. You'll hear it again. Jesus has not left you. God loves you. He's on your side. He sees you in your doubts. He seeks you in your doubts. And he loves you in your doubts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good news. We are so tempted when things are going well to depend on our own confidence. We're so prone when we aren't in a season of doubt or struggle to think that somehow we got it all figured out and we can pat ourselves on the shoulder. But the truth is that every moment we are kept by your grace. So I pray that as we struggle through life, in those moments where we cannot see your love, in the moments we find it hard to believe that what Jesus has accomplished is for us, that you would carry us, that you would sustain us, that you would empower us, help us to stick around until we can hear the voice of Jesus again declaring peace to us. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.